Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market side overlooking New York's Times Square, this is Fast Money, and I am Brian Sullivan in for Melissa Lee. Welcome, everybody. Well, your traders on the desk are Pete Nigerian, Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, shares of Stitch Fix and Toll Brothers, they're on the move after hours. Both companies reporting their results. We're going to break down the big numbers. Look at that Stitch move up 12% plus. Canopy growth soaring after the cannabis company names a new CEO, what it means for the struggling stock heading into the new year. And Coca-Cola celebrating a hundred years, 100 years as a public company. So that got us thinking, will any of this year's IPOs be around in a century from now? And if so, which one should you buy? All that and more ahead. But first, we begin with the countdown, the one that matters most to you and your money. December 15th, less than a week away. That is when the next round of tariffs on China and its imports go into effect. Markets seemed a bit skittish on the news, so will we see a further pullback every day if we get closer with no deal? Or will the race to new records resume deal or no deal? Which is a different show, but you understand my point, Guy Adam. Sound a little hoarse. You okay? I'm fine. Find something? A lot of time on an airplane lately. A little horse? Or a big horse? He's a pony. He's a pony. I worry about you. Don't, why are you glaring at me? I'm not glaring. Welcome. This is how Ryan. I smile. Oh, I'll tell you, Celia, you look great. I really mean it. Well, I, I, I'm, in the, I'm yeah. in the further downside camp. I think that President Trump is going to pull the trigger on Saturday night at midnight, and he's going to go forth. I think in his mind, and again, obviously, I don't know anything, but in his mind, he's got a lot of room in the equity market. He sees the data out of China, which has been miserable. I think in, he's thinking this is an opportunity to step on their neck and to get a favorable deal for us early part of 2020, which means, I believe, if the, if the tariffs go forth, the market goes down. Okay, I love the honesty, because, Guy Dami, you said what everybody thinks. I don't know anything. What they mean is no one knows. No. Unless you're about one of the five or six men or women that are directly negotiating in that room, you don't know. And so or, or a couple guys on halftime. There you go. Are, they know. <laughs> are our viewers... Have to understand that everything's a guess. Yes, and it so might if, not be known by anyone, including it, those involved. At some point, somebody's going to know something. Yes. I hope. But point is, Karen, that. if we do not get a deal, mm-hmm. what happens? The tariffs think, go into effect. I think the market has to go down for a few reasons. I mean, you know, the disruption, the uncertainty—that's never a good thing. But also, look at where the market is. Right? It's just levitated. So. Even if we go down, we're coming off a very, very high base. So I know Steve thinks it'll be fine regardless of what happens with the tariffs. And ultimately, that may be the case. But I think the market has to go down. I think that some of the names that have really done well and sectors like financials, for example, we'll see, if that happens, I think you'll see financials come in because people will think, all right, I'm slowing kind of. OK, slowing. so if we get a deal, Steve Grasso, or maybe more likely the president says, you know what, we're getting there. Let's punt another 30, 60, 90 days. Does the market go up? The market goes up. And I do believe that if we if those tariffs go into effect, the market does knee jerk sell off. 
and then ends even higher than where it is Why? right now. I thought tariffs were bad. Consumer inflation. We haven't really seen that, though, right? We're at all-time highs or thereabouts in the overall market. We haven't really seen that come home to roost. We've seen people broaden their supply chains around China. China's still getting hurt. U.S. is still winning. 31.40 in the S&P now, probably end the year at 3,200, 3,250. I just have to say that I think you're exactly right, Karen. On the, on, from the standpoint of nobody really knows right now, and this is all guesswork, but I think that the reality is, Brian, when you look at where the VIX is, the VIX isn't telling us that people are overly panicked at this point in time. Even with this move that we see today, the VIX trading around 16 or a little bit less tells you you're going to get a 1% move per day. Well, we got down 100 today. That's not a 1% move. So actually, the VIX is trading even a little bit higher. So there's a little premium built in right now into volatility, sure. But the reality is, there doesn't seem to be the fear factor that you would expect going into this. Why this not? Is a, Why not? Because I think people are confident, to your point, I think people are very confident that, in my opinion, we either kick this down the road or something positive will happen this weekend. Well, we, if something positive happens this weekend, yeah, then people up. feel really, really comfortable that this market can take Or off. do the tariffs maybe not matter that much to them? They matter to some companies. I'm not minimizing it, well, but to not fair, to the macro before, market guy. Before we answer that, that question, what we all keep saying is we have no idea what's going to happen, but we know what's already happened. Yeah. We've seen tariffs, and we've seen record high markets. Why wouldn't it be the same? The one side of tariffs, which a lot of people don't talk about, I've spoken with people on both sides, both continents about this, is that the tariffs go up and they're, they're paid for by us, yes. But we're hammering the Chinese suppliers to lower their prices. So it's not as if the entire effect is going in. Guy Dami, you go out there in Morristown, New Jersey, go to a Target, a Walmart, Kohl's, are you saying, oh my God, the price of socks has tripled? You're not stopping your buying no. because of that, are you? No, and then Pete t- tweeted over the weekend, I mean, if you go to parking lots, places are filled. You look Back. at some of these numbers, I mean, the consumer still spends. Never underestimate, I've said this a hundred times on this show, the U.S. consumers want to spend. They will always spend as long as they feel good. Why do they feel good? Because the job numbers are ridiculously strong and because the stock market's at an all-time high. If something were to happen contrary, that's when it ratchets back. And if you, don't, if you need proof positive, go back to last October, November, when the market went down 20% in a month and a half and see how quickly people stopped spending. That's my concern. With that said, I'm not looking for some catastrophic fall in the market, but I think a retest of the July high, which in the S&P 500 is like 30-30-ish, 100 S&P points from here. I don't think that's a ridiculous thing to think in this environment. All right, let's move on. Let's bring in a guest here, of course. So, one of Wall Street's, I guess fair to say, biggest bulls is getting even more bullish heading into the new year. Ken Accord's Tony Dwyer just upped his 2020 forecast. He now expects the S&P 500 to reach 3,400. His prior target is about 90 points lower. Tony joining us now. Welcome, Tony. How dare you raise your target in the face of a trade for and tariffs that are going to increase in a week? So I I thought that was perfect lead in based on people aren't (laughs) meaning the part about where people aren't not shopping because the increased cost of socks. You know what they got is a huge windfall from being able to refinance their debt. Both companies have extended maturities. Uh, Brian, you get a recession when you need money and you don't have any access to it, either from a business or a household. When that happens to businesses, they have to cut production, it hurts their suppliers, lay people off, hurts the households. The opposite is happening today. When you get uh, a a little bit of weirdness in the corporate bond market, it's because companies are like, hold on a second, I'm I'm scared I don't want to take it. When you go into a recession, companies need the money and can't get it. 
and the guy printing the money keeps telling us he's not going to raise rates, it may be for the rest okay. of my career. You're talking about buying socks. I'm talking about buying stocks. <laughs> Tell us why you... <laughs> I see what you did there. Wow. Tell us why you raised your price target. Because the trend of the multiple is higher. So when you're in a sub-3% core inflation environment, the average market multiple is 19 times. So when people keep saying the market's expensive and it can't go higher from here, it's historically inaccurate when inflation is below 3%. So when all you have to do is go back and look at Q3 of 16 through Q3 of 18, the last time we emerged from a mini recession, Brian, the 10-year note yield made its low, started to trend higher. You had a global inflection in manufacturing activity, and the consumer was pretty good. You ended up with a 22 multiple. So I don't have to go back to the 1950s or all the way back through every cycle to find it. All I got to do is the two-year period that ended in the third quarter of 18. So, Tony, two things. What about adding in that corporate tax rate where, where, where he prepaid that for corporations or the personal tax rate cut? So a, a lot of corporations that are complaining about not having money for X, Y, and Z already got something that wasn't a one-time. It's a lower corporate tax rate. On top of that, what about the Fed expanding the balance sheet? That's the same as cutting. It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, when the Fed chairman says at a press conference, when asked what would make him raise rates, and he says you're going to need inflation to be meaningfully above our 2% level, it's at 1.6%. Their own five-year forward inflation is 1.6%. That's a long way from 2%. They're not raising rates for a long time, so they'll handle all these repo situations with QE or not QE. I couldn't care less. They're adding liquidity to the system, and that's really the message. And what about the possibility of them cutting? What would make them cut? Karen, I think it would be really, I don't think that'd be great, but I think it would be, again, weakness in economic activity that's not showing up or some kind of sign of, of systemic stress. The, if you guys remember, most of this year we've talked about how we're kind of replicating 1995, where the Fed went from tightening in February 1st to easing in July and then again December, up 34% for the year, and then you had four more years. It was because the Greenspan put, Powell just made that look like nothing. He literally said it. He said, he said, we're not going to raise rates for the foreseeable future. And I think that really is what it comes down to. Tony, with the multiple that you're talking about here, it, it, it makes me curious. Is that telling you exactly less macro, a little bit more into my world? Where do you go? Where are you? Are you buying multiples that are well below 22? Something in the 15, 16 is much more attractive? No, I think value, valuations are a funny thing. This whole game of targets is stupid. I mean, it's a guess of a point in time and where the multiple should be. So I'm guessing 20 times, Pete. Yeah. It could be 21 or 20. Right. It, could be, it, it could be higher. So rather than look at cheap stocks, mm -hmm. let's look at the history of what happens when the economy is recovering from these mini recessions that we've had this cycle. It's offense. Yeah. It's industrials. It's information technology and its financials. And just to be crystal clear, last time I was on the show, I thought the market could go for a pause in the upside. So we're on this, Karen and I and, and everybody else sounds like we're on the same page. There's a big difference between don't chase a euphoric kind of market and being negative. I wouldn't chase the next tick until we, we get a little bit of that overbought condition hit. You gotta get offensive when you do, unless credit it's yeah. dislocating. It's just not. I like aggressive there. I know you're called the biggest bull, but our new, we got Tony the Tiger. I gotta be. You, I hope to be right? said I have the best process Tony versus the, the biggest tiger. bull, but you know. Either way, you, you <laughs> have the best process. Really, that's the best you can come up with. By the way, when I was a young man, 60 years ago, Frosted Flakes. 
I'm <laughs> flying out of our kitchen. Every, just so you know, I'm sure you were a frosted flake guy as well. No, no, next, lucky next charms. He's going to call Irish. me bald. Really? Yeah, I'm Irish. Obviously, <laughs> next you'll call me bald guy. I mean, well, you're not. You know, on this set, you're in good company. You're fine. Uh, Tony <laughs> Wire, thank you for me. Thank you very. All right, we'll thank take you. you guys. Thank you very much. Well, Tony, good stuff there. All right, guys. So let's trade it. Uh, Tony should leave because now's when we slam you. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? A little bit overly aggressive by Tony? He, no. He, Tony's been spot on for the last two years. He's been coming on this show. So I'm, I'm not going to – it'd be foolish for me to, to, to cast any aspersions to what he's saying. When I say it's going to trade down to 30-30, it's based on a couple things, not least of which is what I think is going to happen over this weekend. And without getting too wonky, you know, he mentioned the repo market. Not a lot of people are talking about it now. There's clearly something awry in the repo market for the Fed to step in the way they have. Maybe it means nothing, or maybe it means something over the next couple yeah, of years. Yeah, guys referring to, I mean, people know already the smartest in the business is these overnight lens that the Fed has been helping out. Spike well, no, Not that it needs help, but they're going to help out anyway. And by the way, don't call it QE. Right. They, they spiked in <laughs> September. The Fed came out and said, we're just going to put some sort of a Band-Aid over it in October. But to me, it's easing no matter what you call it. If they're easing, then you want to be in risk assets. I do believe you can get that sell-off to that number that guy's talking about, the 50 days around 30-50 in the S&P cash. But ultimately, ultimately, it's still a buy. You know, you've got the Brexit vote, though. You've got, obviously, the valuations maybe priced to perfection, Karen. You've got all these oil issues we've talked about with the debt story. I just wonder if people are pricing in the risks as much as they should be. I don't think, even though the VIX was up a lot today, I don't think it... I, I think it Yes, I think still there's cheap. still room to go, considering all those factors that are coming. Okay, so... If you think that markets are marching back to some new all-time highs, you better watch where you step. Because the chartmaster says there could be a giant trap out there. We'll call it the Admiral Akbar trade. It's a trap. Carter Worth is over at the plasma to break it all down. Carter. All right, so there are new traps, and there are traps that's just been trapping and trapping and trapping. And that's what this is. Industrials are the trap that keep on trapping. The sector, as you know, is 9.2% of the S&P, traps. 70 stocks, $2.5 trillion. But more importantly is what have they done? And the next chart after this table will tell us that. But on a 10-year basis, industrials have outperformed the market in three of 11 years. That's pretty shabby. And they have underperformed, right, the market in totality or cumulatively. So what we know is a higher beta area of the market that's given you a very low hit rate and has not kept up with the market and adjusted for risk or beta, that makes it even worse. This is highly cyclical area of the market. Now take a look at the chart, and this will really make the case. This line I've got here, that circle, that is the presidential election. And what you had was the Trump bump. And Wall Street, in its infinite wisdom, promoted industrials and cyclicals as the way to um, prosperity. And what we know is exactly the opposite. This has been underperforming the entire way. So yes, they're up, but the choice of picking that versus the market has been an unmitigated disaster. And in fact, we are flirting with new 52-week relative lows and nine-year relative lows. That's not a good setup. Moving on. So here's the industrial chart itself. I mean, it wants to break out. Yeah, in fact, look at this line. It has tried to break out. And just recently, it in fact pushed above that ever so slightly. And yet it was rejected. Now, the real risk, of course, is that it ends up being something like this. No one can know that. But what we do know is on its most recent attempt to break out, it has failed. Finally, let's look at the um, XLI, the ETF that you can use to uh, trade this. Now, this is a very precise sequence. An uptrend and a break down 8.9. An uptrend and a break 
down 8.7. An uptrend and a break down 7.8. And what's just happened here? Let's we get a nice zoom. Mm. We have just broken again. Does it have to go down 7 or 8 or 9? No, but it's a pattern and the sequence calls for lower. I think you sell industrials and they haven't been working anyway. No, geez, a big part of that, of course. Carter Worth, why don't you come on over, guys? Let's trade this. Well, before, yep. Will is bringing Carter its chair in. This is Will? Will's Will last, last week. Oh, this is last the week. Last week, so you know. See, there, there's... <laughs> I just traded nice. him out, man. You look no, good, well, there's Will. a way, there's Ooh, a way. Pedro, where are you from? What state are you from? Great state of Minnesota. Minnesota. So, Triple M, Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing, was a $270 stock in January of 2018. It's down 35% since then, with now the S&P effectively trading an all-time high. And in my opinion, still expensive on valuation at close to 18 times. So I'm sort of in the Carter camp. Yes, Triple M has bounced a little bit, but the trajectory has been lower for most, if not all, of these names. And I think China's hurting them as much as anything right now, right? Well, I mean, that, it's, that's it's their case. exposure. I mean, it's not to say you can't own industrials. Ingersoll Rand looks great. Dover looks great. Uh, some people like the rails. I don't. Some people are going to try to bottom fish and maybe find a GE. There's nothing wrong with that. But in aggregate, I think the irony is that this has literally been a drumbeat year after year. Every and it'll happen again in January of this year. Salesiders will promote this area of the market because of PMIs. Or if, well, maybe. But as of now. Every January, it's the darling, and every year, it's a dud. Well, it is. To the tariff point, I think the guy's point, Steve, I mean, we always talk about retail getting hit by the tariffs. Mm. These companies have massive industrial inputs. This might be the group that no one talks about because it's not sexy talking about, you know, ethylene and things like that. But Mm. this matters when it comes to the tariffs. It it does matter, but to the bigger uh, message I think I got from Carter there is that, do I just buy, do I wind up just buying the tech names? Do I wind up just buying the consumer discretionary names? And what happens to those names? Because longer term, I think you're better suited just overweighting there, right, instead of energy, instead of industrials. But the last question is, what happens to those top sectors in January when the industrials are getting hit? Do they get hit less? Well, who's to say the industrials are going to get But I think the, the point is, you one, you've got to pick your right stocks, because thematically, this is, while popular, not been right to do. And yeah. I think you see it in industrials, not only that, but materials. You see it in energy. And so does that mean you just crowd into tech? That's the market's risk, ultimately, mm-hmm. that a game of musical chairs being played and that fewer and fewer chairs are the right place to be until those give way as well. Yeah, and this is a group, by the way, the industrials, the way the S&P groups them. American Airlines is in there, FedEx, United, hardly industrials. Copart, by the way, up 84%. Mm. Top industrial. All right. Mm. Coming up, wow, could be a good day tomorrow for investors in shares of Stitch Fix. This after the company reported results the market likes. Also made executive change. We'll tell you about that and talk what's ahead. Plus, the biotech boom. Two big deals in the space and surging stock prices. We're going to break down whether or not there's still good opportunities there. We are, as always, live from New York City's Times Square, and there is much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. We're going to whip these guys into shape. All right, Toll Brothers and Stitch Fix, they are both on the move after reporting their numbers. 
And as always, we've got full team coverage. We've got Rahel Solomon all over Stitch Fix, and that's a big move. Kate Rogers digging in on Toll Brothers. The bigger move, though, is Stitch Fix. Rahel, kick us off. Tell us about the quarter. Hi, Brian. So Stitch Fix had warned that this would be a softer quarter, but results were better than expectations. And investors like what they see. Take a look. Shares are up. Uh, last I checked, about 10%, almost now 11%. So the online styling service saw its revenue jump 21% for its first quarter of fiscal 2020. It also announced a new president as of January 27th. Her name is Elizabeth Spaulding. She comes from Bain & Company's digital practice. Stitchfix, of course, uses data science and also a team of thousands of stylists to curate shopping suggestions for its now 3.4 million active clients. So not really a surprising move there. Stitchfix, however, also announcing that its CFO, Paul Yee, is leaving the company. A permanent replacement has not been named. Now, the conference call is happening right now. A couple of things that we've been listening for. They've been sort of growing out their kids' business. Uh, they've been growing out their men's business. Also saying now that they're going to be devoting more engineering resources to expanding uh, expanding, and keeping up with the demand for some of those initiatives. And also now talking about some of those personnel moves. So we're going to jump back on the call. And we're also going to get a lot more detail about the quarter and the company's future tomorrow morning when we hear from Stitch Fix CEO Katrina Lake. She's going to be appearing exclusively on Squawk Alley. But again, investors appear to like the results. Brian, I'll send it back to you. All right, good stuff. Rahel Solomon, thank you very much. All right, Karen, let's trade this. Listen, the revenue number was in line and maybe slightly better. EPS, pretty good. Customer ads, pretty good. But nobody seems to mind that the CFO, the second most important executive, decided to quit. Right. Well, I don't know if it was decided to quit. I don't know if it has anything to do with the other move that they made. I'm not really sure what to make of that. I think those He's some pursuing other opportunities. I, I don't know what that means, actually, whether that's a graceful we fired you or he's quitting. I don't know. Um, so I think that there was a lot to like. The thing that's most interesting, though, is Stitch Fix short interest is enormous, mm. right? So a whiff of, you know, a beat, which they did, they raised their guidance also. And then you've got this enormous short 47 percent of the stock. I mean, that's painful. So you think this move that we're seeing overnight, probably tomorrow, could be a nice pop, short covering, got to buy the stock. Fundamentally long term, though, are you optimistic? It's it's really expensive. I mean, I, I, 215 times Ford earnings. That's, that's, a little rich for that's me. the actual number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I, you know, I don't love they're not the only ones that do it. But when they back out expense, comp, it's compensation expense, everyone does it. It's not just them. I think of that. And if, real if there cost. was ever a business that could be Amazon, everyone thought that this was the business that could have been the most susceptible to having Amazon take their cake. But revenues, as you started off the conversation, revenues look good. The uh, users look good. But I think Karen's point, 52 percent short interest, that, that's crushing a lot of people. But that is not a long term strategy for growing your stock and having uh, the stock move higher consistently. Have you used it, Guy Adami? Uh, you know, somebody purchased something on the Stitch Fix for me. Lisa Villalobos, you might be familiar yeah. with her. Great executive producer at Hope it CNBC. wasn't that tie. <laughs> so actually, very nice tie. It's not I mean, right. I, I like this tie a lot. The point is, if you don't buy anything, when they send you a box, they send it back. they got to eat that cost of inventory. It's an no, they do. But, then, but listen. We're going to move on. No, quickly. Clients were up 17% year over year. And average, average profit or average dial or dial, average cost per person was up 9.5% in terms of what they're spending. The numbers are real. The short interest is there, which means I think the stock can probably go up another 10 or 15% from these levels. By the way, Guy Dami, I love the tie. I think it's a nice tie. You know what I mean? I love it. Was, it was, the first appearance in Bright Lights Big City was even better. All right, switching gears. Let's take a look at Toll Brothers. Well off its hot after hours. Kate Rogers has more on the home builder. Kate. I want to see Guy's uh, stitch fix order, but uh, more on that later. So, Brian. 
Adrian Toll Brothers out with beats on the top and bottom lines for the fourth quarter. Home deliveries came in at more than 2,600. That's a big beat. In a statement, uh, Douglas Yearly Jr., the chairman and CEO, said that October housing starts were at the highest level since July of 2007, while the month's supply of homes on the market remains constrained. Consumer confidence is healthy, household formations are strong, and interest rates and unemployment remain low. With this positive environment as a backdrop, we are excited by our prospects for fiscal 2020. He added that the company's positioning itself for growth as it expands its luxury brand into new price points, product lines, and geographies, and added that the company has seen stronger demand in the first six weeks of fiscal year 2020 so far. The stock is uh, actually lower now. It had been up more than 3.5%, year-to-date up more than 25%. The conference call, of course, is tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. We'll bring you any headlines uh, tomorrow once we get them, guys. Back over to you. Yeah, anybody who want to trade uh, Kate Rogers, thank you very much. Pete Najeri in the markets. Uh, like John, John and you, Steve, have been all over this whole housing market for a very long period of time. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing the numbers that these guys continue to put out there. And where do we all think interest rates, I mean, we were talking just earlier with Tony about interest rates and where they're going. Are they going higher? Probably not. So that's favorable. They're going into different geographies, different price points and all the rest of it. So when you really look at this business, maybe it's just pulling back a little bit, Brian, because a little bit of too much enthusiasm right out of the gate. But I still think the the longer term for toll right now is still high. Well, there's two ways to look at toll. I mean, the stock's up 26% year to date. That's a yes. pretty good return, it's but it's great. actually one of the worst performing yeah. home builders of the year. Because you say, I made 26. Yeah, well, they're moving, though. See, they're shifting their model a little bit. So the average selling prices, the ASP, should start to come down because they're starting to move out of cities right. in California, increase the mix. Yeah, the problem is they have a area. connotation as being a higher-end buyer, not a first-time buyer, like a KB Homes or Meritage Homes, MTH symbol. So those names are up over 80% year-to-date. So you don't get that bang for your buck when you're talking about millennials and household formation growing. you got to get first-time home buyers and moving up home buyers, and toll is not the place to be for both of those. I, I like toll, actually, but it, it's had a huge year, but it had a disastrous year last year. So, I, th- I mean, it's still well off its high. I like the space, though. I know those guys like it a lot, too. All right. For more on this afternoon's big earnings movers, you can head over to CNBC.com. We've got much more that are coming your way here on the television. Here's what's up next. Happy birthday, Coca-Cola. The soft drink giant celebrating its centennial on the New York Stock Exchange. Will any of this year's big IPOs stand the same test of time? And later, it's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's the Cybertruck. Tesla's divisive pickup making an appearance on the roads of Los Angeles. What people are saying about the new vehicle. We've got those stories and more when Fast Money returns. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.
All right, welcome back. This mm. is a cool story. Coca-Cola ringing the opening bell at the New York Stock Exchange. That's not even the cool part. Because it's now been 100 years since Coca-Cola has gone public. Wow, congrats to them. So that got us thinking. If Coke can do it, maybe who else can? Okay, so check out some of the big-name IPOs this year. We've got some winners and losers on the bunch. For on the radio, it's names like Uber and Levi's and Fiverr and others. So our traders are looking into their crystal balls mm. to predict which of this year's offerings might stand the test of time and last a full century mm. as a publicly traded company. Or maybe there's nobody. Pete Nigerian. Oh, there is. There absolutely is. Well, tea and, coffee, tea and alcohol have been around 5,000 sure. years. Coffee's been around about 1,000 years, but only documented for about 500 years. So I'm going to China. Okay. And a safe who's, trip. Who's, taking on, who's taking on Starbucks over there? Luckin. Luckin, boy, you are right on top of this thing. These guys are growing so fast. They're already, they already got themselves up to that 2,000 stores. Now they're moving towards the 4,000 stores. They're talking about 6,000 stores by 2022. Luckin Coffee, this is going to be around for 100 years because they will take over China. They will absolutely steamroll, I think, over Starbucks. Wow. And that's going to position them for a long, long, long run. You say they got, a lot of, they got a latte gains ahead they of them. They got a latte gains. Okay. okay. Uh, Listen, the price of wholesale coffee beans up 36% in six weeks. Just throwing that the out there. The beauty about Apropos coffee, Brian, right, the beauty about go. coffee is it's delicious. You can get the prices go lower, and you still can raise your price. That's hot. Yeah. So for me, it had to be a tech company, and it had to be a company that was over $5 billion in market cap to start off with. It's Dynatrace for me, and they had to be a leader in application performance monitoring, which is where they are. No one even knows what that is. It's so techy right now. So for me, it's DT. Got to stay with tech and got to stay with something that can be around for the next 100 years. Wow. This one. Yes, this one. It's actually not going public, I think, till tomorrow. You would know better. It's, right? pr- it's priced. Price I just happened to encounter yes. the guy that helps oh, run it. Okay, so mine you. is, I don't know if you can see that, Saudi Aramco, yeah. right? They're only selling a teeny portion of it, tiny. I wouldn't buy the stock because as an owner of a tiny, tiny percentage of it, they'll do whatever they want. However, with the resources they have, that valuation, they will evolve. I don't know into what. Yeah, they will evolve, and I think they stand the best chance. And, of being and, you know, at the, years at the from OPEC. Now. By the way, the energy minister told me, told us to camera at the press conference. I asked him a question about the IPO. He goes, "It's the proudest day of his life, and it's going to be worth more than two trillion dollars." He was talking up the IPO in a very big way. We ran those comments, by the way, on CNBC on Friday from Wien, Vienna, Austria. Guy Adami, who is your hundred-year trade? Well, you know, I'm a big social media person, and if you can look at the TV screen, you can read that is my Pinterest page. I encourage most of you to, to come and check it out. Pinterest. And you're like, you're out of your freaking mind, guys. He is guy. out of his mind. And yes, I am. But you know what? They keep adding users. Their clients are very engaged. Advertisers are making their way there. Call me crazy, but I think Pinterest is going to evolve. And 100 years from now, when I'm 185, you're going to be talking about PINS, despite the horrible quarter they just came Crazy. off of. Well, I hope that, that lives on, because that was some style. You had Karen up there, yeah, you had you, that. you had a nice. picture of Italy. It was fantastic. Audrey Hepburn with a hat. All right, up next, today's mystery <laughs> chart. Of Shares of this company nearly tripling today on news of a multi-billion dollar takeover deal. Who could it be? We're going to let you know. Plus, get your motor running. Or at least change the spark plugs. AutoZone reporting their results before the bell tomorrow. And one trader says there's one strategy that has been profitable more than 90% of the time heading into the print. That's almost all the percent. Mm. (laughs) And we're going to get that coming up on AutoZone when Fast Money returns.
All right, welcome back to Fast Money. Well, another week, more big biotech buyouts. Merck acquiring Massachusetts-based Arcule and Sanofi buying Synthorx, which is based in La Jolla, California. Both deals are valued at more than $2 billion, and both get access now to high-demand cancer treatments. With these deals, guys, get this. Investors in both companies have gained in a year more than $430%, obviously including the buyout premium, but they were on fire before it. News of the deal set the S&P Biotech ETF, the XBI, rallying back to its highest levels in more than a year. With all this wheeling and dealing, can the biotech breakout continue? A hundred percent. And this is not speaking in a vacuum. I know Pete's been talking about this. We've been talking about this space now literally the last couple of years, and we've mentioned names. Amgen continues to make all-time highs, reasonable valuation, tremendous pipeline, just some good news on the FDA front. You know, I think Amgen can continue to go higher from here despite the move it's had. You saw Novartis with the medicines company. There are deals taking place, and I think these stocks, relatively speaking, the ones with the pipelines are still very inexpensive. So to answer your original question, absolutely yes. Yeah, I do think we're back to those days where people are starting to look for their... They don't want to wait, Ryan, so they'll let somebody else get to a point of development and then say, you know what, it would have cost us at least that much, if not more, to get to this point. Talking about a billion and a half, two billion dollars they're spending on some of these. Increase what they've got in terms of exposure to cancer, which seems to be the area everybody wants to go. I mean, Roche made a deal. Novartis made a deal. There's all kinds of deals going on anywhere between nine billion and below. But I'll tell you what, I think there are companies out there in the, bio, in the biotech space that will stand alone. And I do think it's the Amgens of the world. Biogen's well, they're still huge. Tra- I mean, they're 600 okay. billion. Let's be clear here. Biogen the- still trades at a 10 multiple. And this is a biotech. And they're still involved in hoping for good results for Alzheimer's. I- I've, got a, I've got this big old screen here, Steve Grass. So it's mm-hmm. got about 100 plus biotechs. And right. you know what? About half are up. And half are down. Some of them are down 60 and 70%. The point right. is, Burn if rate. you're going to invest in individual stocks and biotech, you better, A, know what the heck you have to do. know what you're doing. And, B, you're going to always be taking a bit of a risk because if right. that drug does not work at any it's of the binary. levels. It's binary. Very binary. This is exactly what I, the way I feel about investing in this group. So if you buy the IBB, the ETF, the number one holding is Amgen. Then you get Gilead. Then you get Vertex. And then you get Illumina. And then, and then you get Biogen. So you get them all. Those are the top holdings. It's already up 25%. You're not going to get the days where you walk in no. and your fund is up 80%, but you're also not going to get the days when you walk in and your fund is down 80%. Because the top 10 stocks in the IBB, and I think off the top of my head, there's 204 stocks in it, are 51% yes. of Correct. the ETF. So you're relying on, you're just like fanging it, right? right. You've got Google and these big stocks. If they move, it moves. If they don't, but you're not going to get that right. big upside. Should we maybe take a flyer on a couple names? You can do XBI, which is more... Why not pick Biotech-y. a couple of good names and as with money you can, you know, lose. By the way, there was monstrous call buying in Arcule just a couple of days ago, just uh, to give you a little insight on what's going on. Giddy up. Ahead of a big deal. <laughs> oh, amazing, isn't it? How lucky. Yeah, it's good timing. <laughs> Sanofi just announced an updated strategic plan under its new CEO. The company is exiting diabetes and cardiovascular disease research. We're going to hear much more about this big move from Sanofi's CEO tomorrow morning. It'll be on Squawk Box at 8.15 a.m. Eastern Time. All right, coming up, a new CEO as well for Canopy Growth. Our very own Tim Seymour will weigh in on the new hothead from Vegas, where he's at one of the biggest cannabis conferences in the country. Plus, AutoZone reporting earnings tomorrow. You may think AutoZone is boring. It's not. One options trader has a strategy that has worked 90% of the time. Mike Cove will join us on that. Come up with Fast Money.
All right, well, Canopy Growth providing a little medicine for some bruised investors today. The company tapping Constellation Brands CFO David Klein to become its new CEO. And investors, they liked it. Shares up 14%. Move strengthens Constellation's influence over Canopy. The booze maker is now Canopy's biggest shareholder, having sunk in more than $4 billion since 2017. Despite all the hemp hype, been a tough few months for investors. Canopy down 49% in the past six months on the Toronto Exchange. Let's talk more about all of this. Joining us now from Las Vegas, Tim Seymour. And full disclosure, of course, Tim is all in on the cannabis craze. He's long a number of names. He's the portfolio manager of a cannabis ETF. Also sits on the advisory board for cannabis companies. You can read all of Tim's disclosures at fast.cnbc.com. And after that, we have no time for the interview. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, we're going to get right. Let's, this is a guy coming from a major corporation. Hey all right. Adding a little bit of sort of, uh, I hate to say it, adult heft to the industry. Well, if you think about it, you know, David Klein is someone that's presided over one of the most profitable spirits companies from the CFO's chair. Um, If you think about Constellation Brands, this has been an emerging markets company in some sense in terms of where they found growth. So their foray into cannabis was something that was clearly very aggressive. Uh, And you can make an argument they, like many folks, uh, overbuilt capacity, went after assets. There was a bit of a land grab. Uh, And I think you've seen in the stock over the last six to nine months where uh, this has been a painful reality check to not only um, the company may or may not have bought assets that made a lot of sense, and one plus one doesn't always equal three, um, but that the gross margins on the company have been some of the worst in Canada. And for one of the biggest players, um, it's, it's not surprising investors have been very frustrated. But this appointment of, of truly a, you know, a consumer product CEO, someone who knows the CPG world very well and someone who knows this company very well is very exciting. I think he's the right man for the job. And what does it tell you maybe about the continued strategy behind the cannabis companies and the traditional companies that are involved in booze and spirits? Are they just going to ultimately just kind of come together and sort of be enveloped in that same supply chain, keep the cost down, keep the distribution up? Well, see, you're exactly. You're getting to branding, uh, distribution, packaging. Uh, these are things that have made some of the most successful companies in the world in that space. Uh, it's what's defined their difference. And really, if you think about the cannabis space, it is a consumer product. It's a CPG story. And that's very much what I think they're trying to do at Constellation Brands. David Klein um, has been very involved in this transition over the last six months. In fact, he was named chairman back in, in, in November. Uh, he was uh, someone that certainly has been part of bringing other members of his team on board. The current CFO, Mike Lee, is also a, a Constellation veteran. So for continuity's sake, this is a very exciting time, and I think people were waiting for this moment. All right, Tim Seymour joining us live from Las Vegas. That stock up about 14%. Tim, thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. All right. All right. See you soon. All right. Up next, the Boeing whistleblower says that he raised the flag about the 737 MAX jet months before the two deadly crashes that have roiled the company. We're going to get those details after the break. Big Boeing story. Next. All right. Welcome back to Fast Money. We have got a news alert on Boeing. A former manager speaking out on the ground at 737 MAX planes. This all developing literally in the last few minutes. Phil Abo joining us now with more on this developing story. Phil. Brian, these comments come from a whistleblower who is a former Boeing manager at the 737 plant in Renton, Washington. He will be testifying at a congressional hearing on Wednesday about his concerns regarding 737 production, concerns that he says he brought to management regarding the craftsmanship, the workmanship in the facility in Renton. 
However, we should point out, none of the concerns that he brings up in terms of rushed production, employees being tired, none of them have to do with the MCAS flight control software, which is at the heart of the two crashes for the 737 MAX, and that's really what the focus is in terms of the grounding of these aircraft and ultimately, if they're going to be uh, recertified, having MCAS be uh, improved. So as you see shares under pressure right now, Publicly, this is a bad black eye. There's an article in the New York Times. His comments about uh, what he's going to testify to on Wednesday will be uh, getting a lot of play over the next day. He's going to be on NBC Nightly News tonight with more of his comments. But again, none of his concerns that he brought to the company were regarding MCAS and the flight control software, more about what he considered to be rushed and shoddy production at the 737 plant. By the way, in the article in the New York Times, which has just been posted, uh, Boeing says that they took all of his concerns and complaints seriously. We're going to hear more from Boeing and obviously from this whistleblower, Ed Pearson, on Wednesday uh, on Capitol Hill. All right, uh, Phil LeBeau with an article there on, uh, on the New York Times. Phil, thank you very much. Let's trade this. Guys, it's, it's another... It's another hit for Boeing that apparently somebody else came out, the New York Times. I'm going to look at the story now. I have not. A big story in the New York Times. A whistleblower comes out and says, I got concerns about this, 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 and this. And management now says, oh, yeah, we took them seriously. And yet it seems like the reaction, at least, that we're seeing right now based on that looks like it's Teflon, right? I mean, once again, it's amazing. All that's been thrown at Boeing throughout this entire process. And yet, look at where the stock continues to trade. And, Guy, you say it all the time, but... Price is truth. And here's where the price is, and it's down a little over a buck, a buck and a half right now. You'd think that this kind of news would actually hit this stock far harder. I think one of the things that have been, and, and Pete's right, I do say it all the time, and it is hung in there rather well. But remember, the market's also at all-time high, so Boeing has gotten bailed out to a large extent by a broader market that's been impenetrable by any of the short sellers or any of the sellers at large. So one of the things I said is it's going to trade up to 375. I think it fails when it gets there. And to a large extent, that's what's happened. I could easily see this, especially if the market were to make a move to the downside, trading back to yep. those August lows, which is roughly 327 does, or so. Steve Grasso, does the CEO need to go? I know he lost his chairmanship. Does he need to I think to he has to go. I, I think he does have to go. And I, I know Phil, from listening to Phil, I have great coverage on this. I know he'd disagree with me on this. But if, it, if that level, that 325 level that guy's talking about doesn't hold, we're talking about a stock that's back below 300. So I know it's, it's, it's already fed off of all this bad news, but it seems like it's never ending. I would not be a buyer here, Bum. Okay. Switching gears, AutoZone is gearing up to report its results before tomorrow's open. Now, the stock is up a whopping 40% this year. One trader in the options market found a way to trade AutoZone using a strategy that he says has been profitable more than 90% of the time. That gentleman is Mike Coe. He is smiling. And if you're right, 90% of the time, Mike, you deserve to smile. He's in San Francisco with the options action. Welcome. Sure. So, yeah, we saw about two times the average daily options volume in AutoZone this morning going into earnings. This is a name that typically moves a little less than 6%. The options market is implying a move of a little over 5% by the end of the week. But the trade that I saw go on the markets today that I thought was pretty interesting was something called an iron condor. Somebody sold the 1087.5, 1082.5 put spread 
and also sold the 1285-1290 call spread. Both of those are going to be expiring at the end of the week. That $5 spread on both sides, they collected just $0.65 per share. But here's the thing. This is a trade that is betting that the stock is going to stay above the 1087.5 put strike and below the 1285 call strike. And if you look back the last 11 years, 44 reported quarters, only twice out of those 44 quarters have we seen moves of greater than that magnitude, meaning that this trade has actually been profitable 95% of the time that somebody has put it on. So sometimes... Betting on nothing can really be worth something. Wow. Well, I'd say 95 is betting on something, Mike. We love those odds. Great stuff there. Pete, what do you think of AutoZone and earnings? Yeah, what do you think it, about Mike's options trade? Right, and it sure seems like they've been doing everything right. It seems like a lot of different industries where we don't talk about them nearly as, as often as we probably should, and this is one of them. where So windshield wipers and batteries, Pete. Right, and yet they, they seem to be doing pretty well, and they seem to be making a lot of money. So, yeah, I think it's something we should focus on a little bit more. I like what Mike's pointing out here. Now, let's just remember, this would have worked in those all those past times, but that doesn't necessarily mean this has always been put on in the past. So we'll see how this really does play out. 1170 had trouble with in August, in July, August. It failed, traded down. So I can understand why people would use this as a level to sort of put on a position like this. It makes sense. I think it's probably in for another fail here as well. So, you know, I think there's a chance to trace down to that $1,100 level, which is exactly the move that Mike is looking for. All right, good stuff, guys. For more options, action, obviously catch the whole show, which is Fridays at 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next right here in Fast Money, your final trades. I was told they're going to be the best of the week. We're back right after this. Bad information. All right, welcome back to Fast Money. A big newsmaker coming your way tomorrow. Bob Pisani is slitting down exclusively with SEC Chairman Jay Clayton. Be sure to catch that interview tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Power Lunch. Time now for your final trades. Pete, kick us off. Jay Clayton's great, great golfer. By the way, getting out of Exxon, going into Chevron. Giddy up. You know what the market was worried about today? Tariffs being placed on again. You know what was that the target of that? Apple buying on weakness. Yes, XLF short a little off of this huge bank run. Guy down. Bad news, good price action. What had happened in today, Pete? Giddy up. Macy's. You're right. Macy's. Sure. Big short squeeze. I like it. Some good names. All right, that does it for us. We're going to see you back here tomorrow, 5 o'clock. Mad Money with Jim begins right now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.